0: So in Mark 10 we're looking at verses 46 through 52 and the relevance of this passage is that it shows us that Jesus in all of his greatness is deeply merciful, he's compassionate, he has pity to those who cry out to him. Now if you haven't been with us, let us, let me bring you up to speed on where we've been for just a few moments Two weeks ago, we came to a pinnacle point in the book of Mark where Jesus said in verse 45 of chapter 10, he said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in that verse, that section that we covered, there were two points that Jesus was making. First, it's about himself. Jesus, the great son of man. And we looked at that title from Daniel chapter 7, which is a title for kingship. Jesus, the king, the great king, did not sit back on a throne and wait for people to come flocking to him to serve him. This was a different kind of king. Jesus turned the expectations upside down to the point that He poured himself out in service. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And we see through the rest of Mark, as we'll get into chapters 11 and following, that Jesus served us by going through the horrendous treatment of being beaten, his beard being plucked out, he was crucified on the cross, and bearing the load of God's wrath against us for the purpose of serving us. So there he is, if you will, shielding us under the wrath of God that we deserve. We rightly deserve because of our sin against him. But here is merciful Jesus having compassion and pity. And he is carrying out his service by taking the wrath that we deserve upon himself. So Jesus serves. Now the second point from that section is that as we follow him, We also must see ourselves as servants to others, not others being servants to us. So in the story leading up to that statement, in verse 45, where Jesus said, Son of man came not to be served, but to serve. In the story leading up to that, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, approached him and said, Jesus, we have a question for you and we want you to answer yes. Yes. And Jesus says, okay, boys, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to sit at your right hand and at your left when you come into your kingdom. They're thinking, Jerusalem, he's going to sit on the throne. And Jesus was saying, that's not my role. That's the father's role to assign. And then he went into this statement, you have your eyes, you have a wrong perspective. I'm going to serve. And if you're going to follow me as your king, then you're going to do as the king does. You must also serve. And when you think about that truth, that those who follow Jesus are to see themselves not as gathering people unto themselves to be served, but as emptying themselves in order to serve others. When you think of the followers of Jesus ourselves that way, you have to come to the conclusion, what wisdom of God? What wisdom that he would set up a kingdom in which the ethic among his followers is emptying ourselves to serve one another? Take the converse of that. How many fights, arguments, and hurt feelings have there been because we wanted other people to meet our expectations, to serve us in that way? But in Jesus' kingdom, that kind of thinking where we want others to serve us is kind of rebuked. It's pushed off to the side. It's it's not allowed in Jesus' kingdom. This is a kingdom of service. So as followers of Jesus, we must renew our minds and follow in his steps. Jesus' steps, the one who functions as a servant to the world. Now that has some backdrop to what we are studying this morning. So we're moving into 46 through 52, which is a story about Jesus serving. And who is he serving? He's made this statement in 45, the Son of Man has come to serve. And you might be asking, Mark, give me an example now of how Jesus is going to serve. Well, 46 to 52 shows us how Jesus serves. He serves the lowliest of people, a blind beggar who is on the side of the road. And with this story, Mark finishes up a section that began back in chapter eight, where Jesus had healed a blind man. He finishes this section on discipleship by healing a blind man. And it's as though Mark is saying to the readers through these healings, has Jesus come and opened your eyes to see how you should follow him? Do you see The ethic of Christ's kingdom? Do you see what it means to claim Jesus as Lord and to follow him as a servant? So verse 46 is where we begin. Point number one to the sermon is simply a persistent beggar, a persistent beggar. So verse 46, it says that they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... Bartimaeus a blind beggar the son of Timaeus was sitting beside the road so what do we notice in this story we we notice a location we see where Jesus is now he had been up around the sea of Galilee which is to the north he's traveled down to the south and he is in the city of Jericho Jericho which is approximately 20 miles from Jerusalem Jesus is making his way and he's told his disciples, I have to make it to Jerusalem in order to give my life. Now following Jesus on this path down from Galilee and now into Jericho, we see that there are his disciples and Mark tells us that there is a great crowd that's following Jesus. He doesn't give us a number, but he gives that characteristic. It's a great crowd that's following him. In my mind, I think about those caravans that were coming up through Central America. And you see this massive crowd of people just slowly moving, walking, one foot in front of the next. Perhaps that image would be something like what Jesus is doing. Walking down these gravelly roads and making his way to Jerusalem. The crowd... Why would they be joining him? Two reasons. Number one is the feast of Passover is happening in Jerusalem in the following weeks. And so Jews are like pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. That's one reason. The second reason is we have seen great crowds following Jesus up in the Galilean district. Because they believe that he is the long-awaited, the long-hoped-for Messiah. The king whom the prophets had talked about. And he is going to come and set up his throne where? Where David had sat. In Jerusalem. And so they want to be part of the excitement. They want to see this show go on. And so they're following him as they approach and come into Jericho. Now we're introduced to a man in Jericho. His name is Bartimaeus, and he is the son of Timaeus. Just a little linguistic, Bar in Aramaic means son. Timaeus, well, that's his name. So he's the son of Timaeus. So Mark says Bar Timaeus, and by the way, he's Timaeus. So here he is, this man, who's given a name, and we notice one thing about him. It's probably the thing that grabs our attention the most. He's blind, Blindness was a common occurrence in the first century. Eye infections, eye wounds, didn't have the medical help that we have now today. So to see somebody blind was not new to Mark. And we've seen blind people in the gospel of Mark already. But consider this. Don't let it just pass by you. You know, to be blind, I can't see your faces right now. I can't see your facial some of you could be, Some of you kids could really be making some weird faces at me right now, and I wouldn't even know. Can't see the blue sky. You can't walk out and watch the glistening lake just kind of pop as the sun is setting over. It can't see the flowers. He hears people around him, but he can't see their smiles. Who knows if he was blind from birth, Or if it was an infection that took his eyesight and he hasn't been able to see his relatives. Horses, animals that walk up and down the road can't see him. There's just constant darkness. And perhaps he feels as though he's regularly losing out on opportunities because he can't see. So where is Bartimaeus? Where is the blind man? He's pushed off to the edges. He's literally on the edge, alongside of the road, as this story begins, because he's blind. But there's one thing that a blind man can do. When you lose one sense, your other senses tend to increase. And so, what Bartimaeus can do is he can listen, he can hear. And here is Bartimaeus alongside the road, listening for where Jesus is. Now, I'm missing one page of my notes but we'll get there, all right? Walk away for just a moment. I've lost one of my senses right now. So Bartimaeus, imagine him as he's sitting there alongside the road, and in verse 47, it says that he heard that Jesus is coming. This great crowd. Think of the voices that he heard in the distance. Perhaps there were some pans that were clanking on the side of wagons, perhaps people with loud voices. He could hear parts of conversations and laughs that were taking place. He knew that this just wasn't somebody walking up the road. He could hear that this was a crowd of people. And so his ears are perking up. His ears are just hearing that people are coming. And so as Bartimaeus hears this crowd, this is an opportunity for a blind beggar to receive some alms alongside the road. Well, there's another reality about this crowd that he hears. It says in verse 47 that he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is inside this crowd. And news about Jesus has definitely reached the Galilean district, and we know that religious leaders from Jerusalem have come up to Galilee to hear him, to speak to him, to even oppose him. Somehow Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus of Nazareth. Somehow he's heard the reality that Jesus has been able to do healings and miracles, And so in verse 47, it says that when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, something happened in his heart. He had hope. He had hope that Jesus could do for him what he had heard Jesus doing for other people. So he cries out in verse 47. Here are his words. These are the words that we hear nothing up to this point, here's a blind beggar, and he just cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we might ask the question, why is he thinking that Jesus, son of David, can have mercy on him? Perhaps it's because he believes the Old Testament prophecies that have come down from Isaiah. Way back in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 3, this Messiah that was coming, his reign would be marked by this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And here is Bartimaeus's chance. Here's the son of David, that title that means messiahship, king. Here is his opportunity. Well, notice what happens as he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, it says that many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I mean, here's the crowd that's following Jesus And perhaps Jesus in the crowd is where Bartimaeus is. Perhaps he's back a ways. Perhaps he's in front a ways. And he's crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And then the followers of Jesus, many, it says, many of the followers of Jesus come alongside of him. Stop it. Be quiet. You're just a blind beggar. Leave him alone. It's sad how the followers of Jesus can be some of the most hurtful people. I think that if we were to step back and just consider our lifetime, some of the most hurtful things that have come into our lives have been from the followers of Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. And he persists. He keeps moving after Jesus. He's not going to let the antagonists keep him away. Even though they're rebuking him and telling him to be silent, he keeps crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus is asking Jesus, just have mercy. Just have mercy. The kind of mercy that he's asking for is pity. Please have compassion on me. Which in the first century was a virtue that was not practiced the way it's practiced today. It was practiced pragmatically. If it benefited you to show mercy to someone, then go ahead and show mercy. For example, Caesar was known for showing mercy to some of his rivals for the purpose of maintaining a peaceful world. Here's the trade-off. That brought benefit to him. But on a personal level, showing mercy without receiving anything in return, that kind of mercy in the first century was a waste of time and emotion. Scholars said it was pointless to have pity on those whose conditions you can do nothing about. So there's a blind beggar. Okay, I might throw him some alms, but I'm not going to feel sorry for him. There's nothing that I can actually do about him. So emotionally, that's it. It's fatalistic. That's life. I'm moving on. Throw him a coin, but don't spend the emotion on him. And that's how the crowds are thinking of Bartimaeus. He's on the edge of the road. That's where his lot in life is. But don't feel sorry for him. To which the blind beggar Bartimaeus responds and keeps begging, Jesus, please show me mercy. So point number two, we're introduced to a merciful king. What does Jesus do as the great crowd is walking by? He has a mission to accomplish in Jerusalem. He has to get there. That's his work. That's his duty. That's what's on his checklist of things that has to be accomplished. But in verse 49, it says that Jesus stopped. And can you imagine this great big crowd that's following and around Jesus, kind of walking in pace with him? Lots of people are talking. But over, to, over the talking comes this beggar who's crying out for Jesus And then Jesus stops because he hears the cry and he hears his title and he hears his name. Jesus stops in that moment because somebody is talking to him. Just a little aside, we are the beggar this morning. And we need to know that God hears our prayers 1 Peter 3, verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And it's not just that Jesus has the ability to hear, it's that he has the care within him to motivate the hearing. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And here's Jesus who's in the crowd, and he hears the cry from blind Bartimaeus, and he stops, and what does he do? He orders the blind man to be brought to him. So the people, it says, the people called the blind man. They all paused, and they say to the blind man, take heart, get up. He's calling you right now. In verse 50, Bartimaeus Here's the news. He throws off his cloak, which was probably this outer garment or outer robe, and he throws it off because, more than likely, he doesn't want to trip while he's making haste towards Jesus. Perhaps a tunnel forms in the crowd. A person might lead him through. And he is brought to a place where he stops. And then think about this blind man not being able to see, he's just brought to a point where it stops. He stops. The crowd has probably gotten silent. He might hear the heavy breathing from people who have been on the road. He might hear feet kind of shifting on the gravel back and forth. But then he hears this. What do you want me to do for you? The plea has been made. The crowd has stopped. Bartimaeus has been brought into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus asks this question, Bartimaeus, what is it that you want me to do for you? Now remember, this ties us to the previous section where James and John had heard the same question. What do you want me to do for you, James and John? They wanted to be great. Will Bartimaeus follow in that same path? I just want greatness for myself. Bartimaeus replies and he says, Rabbi, and in the Greek here, the title is Rabboni. Some of your versions might say that, which is more than just rabbi. Rabbi was a teacher. Rabboni is the teacher who is your master, the teacher who is your Lord. And he says, Rabbi, Rabboni, let me recover my sight. Now that statement says a ton. What could Bartimaeus have asked for in that moment? I mean, all things aside, he could have asked for the same thing that James and John asked for. I believe that you're the son of David. I've already mentioned that. You're coming into your kingdom in Jerusalem. Please make me great. Put me on your right hand. Put me on your left. He could have asked what he would have been asking for from all of the other people who had passed by in Jericho. Alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. That's about the most that ordinary people could have given him, but not Jesus. Bartimaeus' request shows his view of Jesus. Jesus stands in a separate category. He is the Messiah from the Old Testament prophecies. He is the son of David who is present. He is bringing the spiritual kingdom into the present right now. and He's the one person who can heal him. He's the one person who can answer the deepest need in his life. And he simply wants to go from the realm of blindness to the realm of sight. He just wants God to do a work in his life. As you look at Jesus this morning, you must know that he stops for you. He invites you to himself. And when you think of passages throughout scripture, my mind went to Revelation 3 verse 20 this last week. I didn't put it up on the screen for you. But where Jesus tells the church, hey, I stand at your door. It's not like I'm running past your house. I stand at your door and I knock on your door. And anyone who will let me in, we can have fellowship with one another. He will sup with me and I will sup with him. This is a wonderful Savior that we have who is ready to stop and to serve out of his mercy. A wonderful savior who comes to the outcast, to the downtrodden, to those who are incapable and stops in order that he might dish up mercy and mercy upon people. He's merciful, showing compassion and pity to those in need. And even as he goes to Jerusalem, we see that his mercy is on display. He has to get to Jerusalem as an act of mercy. He has to go there in order to serve sinners, to lay down his life for the sheep, for us. We see his mercy when he's in Jerusalem, taken to the hill outside on Golgotha as sinners put him on a cross. You will hear Jesus cry out in mercy, Father, forgive them, forgive all of them, because they don't know what they do. You'll see Jesus on the cross in mercy, looking down at his beloved friend John, at his mother Mary, and when he's going to be gone, he's saying, Woman, now look, here is your son who needs to take care of you. Son, take care of your mother. We see the merciful Savior who welcomes Peter back to his side after Peter denied him three times. Here is a Savior who is making his way to Jerusalem to serve all of us. He has pity upon us. In verse 52, we see a new life. Jesus looks at Bartimaeus after just simply hearing his request, and he says, now go, go your way. Think about that for a moment. This exchange that takes place, Bartimaeus is in the middle of the crowd, and in that moment, light starts to trickle into his eyes, perhaps blurry at first, His irises start to flex. His pupils begin to adjust. The nerves in his eyes start to fire. And facial expressions begin to show on people's faces. He can look people in the eye right now, and people can look back at him. All the excitement now. Jesus did it again. And you can imagine the crowds going, yes, yeah, he did it again. Here's hope for us. The Messiah from Isaiah 35 is standing right in front of us, and we're only 20 miles from Jerusalem. He's truly going there to set up his throne. We're only days away from his kingdom coming into our presence. Excitement on behalf of the crowd must have been there. What do we notice in Jesus' statement about Bartimaeus? Go your way. It's your faith has made you well. The crucial component in Bartimaeus' heart was faith. That's what Jesus brings to the forefront of this discussion. Faith, Bartimaeus. It was your faith, Bartimaeus, that has made you well. So what is faith? A couple of months ago, I was teaching in the youth group, and in the message, we were talking about having faith in the promises of God. So, For an illustration, um, I grabbed Joshua Nelson. He probably volunteered himself. And he came up on the little platform and stood up on the chair. But I don't think the chair was tall enough. We had you stand up on top of something above that, right? Is that how it went? So he's a little bit higher up in the air. And then I asked 18, not 18, eight young men from the teen group to come up and to stand behind Joshua like this with her hands forward. So Joshua was facing me, I'm there, and there's eight young men like this behind Joshua. Joshua, have you ever done anything like that before? You had done something like that before. Okay. At least he had heard this before and kind of knew that something was going to happen. I said, okay, Joshua, Stiff as a board, cross your arms, cross your chest. Don't wing your elbows out. You might break somebody's nose. I've seen that happen before too. And Eric, our deacon for insurance, maybe I should have checked our policy before I did this, but uh, I didn't. And I just said, lean back, Joshua. And what did he do? He trusted my word. And stiff as a board, and bounced on the arms of the young guys there. He was listening Did he know how everything would turn out? Well, he had done this before, but maybe you're Joshua and you haven't done this. It's called a faith fall or a trust fall. You're taking the word of somebody else and saying, I trust what you have spoken. This is what faith is. Faith is, I'm trusting what God has said in his word. I've heard it, it's come to me. And I'm going to trust it. So when you go to Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, they heard God's word and they trusted, they went out in faith obeying God's word. Faith doesn't mean that you necessarily understand how everything is going to turn out, faith doesn't mean that you understand how everything is going to work in the process. I mean, it's kind of hard for us to understand how God imputes Christ's righteousness to our life, but what do we do? We say, okay, I believe it, I trust it. And so here is Bartimaeus before Jesus, and Jesus is saying, Bartimaeus, it's your faith that has made you well. And some of your versions might say saved you, because the Greek word there is sozo, which means saved. And Jesus is saying, you have the kind of faith that is needed right now to be saved. And in that moment, Bartimaeus entered into a new life. You might be asking, how does that happen before the cross? It's because God has always required faith for a relationship with him. Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus. He believes Jesus. Now on this side of the cross, what is it? We see Jesus crucified and risen. And he calls us to believe in the crucified Lord on our behalf in his resurrection that affirmed that the work of the cross was meaningful to the Father It atoned for our sins. And here we are, beggars alongside the road needing God's grace. And in faith, we believe it. Immediately, Bartimaeus recovered his sight. Being saved, notice what happens to Bartimaeus at the end of verse 52. It says, immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Earlier in the passage, Bartimaeus was a beggar by the roadside. That's where he was. And now he's a disciple of Christ. He's following him on the way. So what is the big idea that I want you to walk away with this morning? A big idea from 46 to 52 is this. When you believe the mercy of God, you will draw into him more and more. We see Jesus acting mercifully in this chapter. We see Bartimaeus having faith that Jesus is merciful. We see the crowds that are ready to keep right on going and even rebuke Bartimaeus. But it's Jesus whom Bartimaeus has his focus set on. And it's Jesus who responds in mercy to those who call upon him. When we believe that Jesus is truly merciful, it transforms our relationship with him. Think about this for just a moment. When you have a gash on the inside of your hand or when you have a shoulder that's out of joint or a bone that's sticking through the skin, what you're seeking for is somebody who will extend mercy to stitch up the problem, to put the shoulder back in place, to set the bone. And oftentimes what we do is we rush to the ER because we are hopeful that there will be mercy there for us. Jesus is the one who is merciful to us and when we believe that Jesus is merciful it transforms the way that we come to him and relate to him. Some of you may have grown up in churches or in homes where the times you heard about God the most intensely was when you were getting a paddle on your bum. God hates that sin young man And therefore, I'm going to give you this whooping. And over and over again, God was related to as the ogre. The ogre who despised sin. And in your mind, all I hear about God is he's a guy up in heaven who's really disappointed all the time. And here's Jesus. Here's Jesus throughout the Gospels coming into people's lives with mercy, just dishing up mercy over and over again. We see God's mercy as it relates to our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love, notice that, he's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Romans chapter 9 talking about God's mysterious mercy in our salvation here he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion so then when it relates to our relationship with him it depends not on human will or exertion but it relates to God who is merciful We see God's mercy as it relates to forgiveness of sin. Psalm 51, verse 1. David has sinned in adultery with Bathsheba. He's sinned against God, and so he comes to God in prayer, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Where is the sinner running? Away? No, he's running to God. We see God's mercy in helping us with physical needs. Philippians chapter 2 verse 27, speaking of Epaphroditus, indeed he was ill, even near to the point of death. And I think of our friend Lonnie. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God's mercy is there in salvation. God's mercy is there in forgiveness. God's mercy is there for us when we're hurting in pain. God whom we can run to. The psalmist speaks of God in this way. Let me run through a few quick passages here. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's not the ogre. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 6, verse 2. Notice these prayers. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Psalm 9, verse 13. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Psalm 25, 16. Turn toward me and have mercy, for I am alone and oppressed. Psalm 86, verse 3. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. And when you think about these, and when you think about the reality of who God is, and when I was just marinating in this throughout the week, things that are going on in life, the pressures that you feel, the pressures that I feel, it clicked with me for this week. And I started praying, Lord, please have mercy on me. The things that I want to see put to death in my life, Lord, please have mercy on me. The circumstances that are outside of my control, but that you call me to, Lord, please have mercy on me. So Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So then... Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. For what purpose? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, just think about the question that Jesus would be asking you. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? We're not asking God to make us great. We're not going to be the ones who are saying, God, just help me get up the next step on the corporate ladder. God, make me more important. Make me better in the eyes of the world. No, we pray according to the will of God, and here's the will of God. God, please have mercy on me. And when we see that God is merciful, we're saying, why am I not running to him more? So, where, whether it's thoughts that you're wrestling with about yourself, run to God for mercy. Perhaps some of you, as parents, are struggling with your family and you're saying, Man, I've been a failure. Run to God for mercy. Others, you feel like you're on the outside regularly, you feel lonely, you feel cast aside, you feel like a beggar alongside the road. God, please have mercy. Again, we hear the question of Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? And wherever you are this week, let me encourage you that the Lord is merciful. When we understand him to be merciful, we can run to him more and more. Let's pray.